Our scripture um, comes from Micah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear God's word to us. The prophet writes, Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I have brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak the king of Moab devised, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him, and what happened to Shittim and Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do pray you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us to hear and to listen to your word. Give us light. Give us illumination. Do the work in our hearts to understand our season and our times and your call to us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. What I hope to do this morning is very simply um, to help us as a majority white congregation to understand and begin to process what it means for us to respond to the murder of George Floyd and what to make of the protests and riots that have come about as a response. George Floyd was killed on Monday, um, May 25th, Memorial Day. And the next day, on Tuesday, I had a, a phone call scheduled ahead of time with Pastor Raymond Monk just to catch up, to hear how his church is doing really in the light of COVID. And um, when I started to talk with Raymond on Tuesday, I'd asked him, well, hey, how you doing? And immediately, he's like, man, I'm not doing good. Did you? <laughs> and he began to talk about George Floyd's death. Now, I had sort of heard that this had happened. I hadn't watched the video. I, hadn't, I didn't really know the full scope. But, but immediately, Raymond began to share his heart. This is before any protests started happening, any writing. It just hit him like a body blow immediately. And he began to share, to say, you know, <laughs> and he, he's, he's like, I, I mean, I don't, 
you know, as a black man, he, Raymond's a former Marine, by the way. If you've, you know Raymond or have met him, he's a big guy. He's like, you know, he's like, I don't, you know, I, what is this? I, I fear where I go to jog. He lives on the Upper East Side, and he's talking about how he's, af he's afraid of where he jogs as a former Marine and a black man. I've never, friends, I've never been afraid of where I go jogging. And I, I realized in our conversation very quickly, and I, it's something I'd known in my mind, but in a way I'd experienced very viscerally in the moment, is the disparity of experience. The disparity of experience between Raymond as a black man in America and me as a white man in America. In the nearly two weeks since this event, we have seen a level of social unrest, protests, riots, on a scale that the United States has not seen since 1968 in the aftermath of the assassination of Martin Luther King. We've seen destruction, we've seen mayhem, we've seen looting. And now all of us know who George Floyd is and we know that story, we know that video, we know what happened to him. We also see all this unrest and violence that threatens to really overshadow and to obscure the original event. And in one way or another, many of us, you know, across the political spectrum as white Americans are feeling uh, just a mix of confusion, of sadness, of anger, of despair. And we're not really sure what it means to, to respond. And on the one hand, on the one hand, it's utterly clear that George Floyd's death was, was racist, was cruel, it was cruel. It was murderous. On the other hand, we see all the riots and destruction, which thankfully have really died down in the past five days. Well, we saw that, and, and it's hard again. This, is this the right response, right? So again, the question for us, as a, as a predominantly white and upper middle class congregation is, how do we respond? And I, I just want to say right now that many of you are bothered that I have drawn attention to the fact that we're a white, upper-middle-class congregation. But if you're a black American, if you're a Hmong American, if you're a Chinese American, you always have this sense of self-consciousness about the fact that you're black or you're Hmong. And, and as white people, it bothers us to, to, to describe ourselves as white. And you have to realize that's because, you know, our experience is the framing experience of what it means to be American. And we don't like that to be challenged, and it's hard. I know this is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for us. On Tuesday, a large protest march began in Humboldt Park, which is across the street from, from, our, from us um, in Bayview. And I thought it was really important for our family to show up and to participate um, briefly. Um, so Tess and I were busy making signs to bring, and I was trying to think of what, what should I put on a sign. And the Lord brought this verse to me from Micah, Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is the verse that the Lord gave me, and it's the verse that I've used as a lens to process all the events of this past week and couple weeks. And it is the right question that the prophet asks us. What does the Lord require of you? <laughs> what is good? 
How should you respond? And the answer is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly. And so uh, Micah gave me a very good three-point sermon outline, and so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about what it means to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly, but I want to do them in reverse. So we're going to start with to walk humbly, and then we'll go to love kindness, and then we'll finish with do justice. Um, This triad of actions of walking humbly, um, so in the triad of actions, walking humbly has specific reference to our relationship with God, right? Walk humbly before your God. Um, That's really a reference to God. While doing justice and loving kindness refers more to our horizontal relationships with one another, right? However, for Micah, these are all interconnected with one another. Doing justice and loving kindness is what it means to walk humbly before our God. But you can't do justice and love kindness unless you're walking humbly with God. Right? They're all sort of interconnected with one another. And I think this brings us to the very first point I want to make, which is what is this distinctly Christian contribution to the conversation right now? It is very simply this. It is to recognize that deep down, all social justice problems, all problems of racism are theological problems. They're not just social problems. When the prophets of the Old Testament cry out against injustice and oppression, mistreatment of the poor, of the marginal, the widow, the orphan, it is always connected to idolatry. Idolatry and injustice go hand in hand. You never find injustice without finding idolatry. Behind every form of social injustice in this world, there stands an idol. There stands false worship. There stands a misrepresentation of what it means to be, what, who God is, and a misrepresentation because of that of who we are as human beings. Injustice is a manifestation of idolatry, which is false worship of God. And racism is a manifestation of idolatry. So friends, these are not merely social problems. These are not merely horizontal social justice problems. They're God problems. They are God problems. Micah the prophet, I recommend you read the whole book this week. In chapter 3, he is crying out against the rulers of Israel and their injustice. In chapter 3, he says, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. And because of this rampant injustice, God calls the nation into a divine courtroom. And friends, very humbly, let me just suggest that God has called our nation into the divine courtroom. Here's what, I, what Micah says. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord. 
and you enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. And in this divine courtroom, the mountains and the hills have been called as witnesses against Israel. They have been there since time immemorial, and they have seen the covenant violations of his people. They, like the ground that cried out when Cain murdered his brother Abel, when he spilled his blood on the ground, so the mountains and the hills and the forests and the valleys and the rivers and the lakes, they are witnesses. And they testify against us. They testify against our wickedness and our injustice against the land and within the land. There is a heretical legacy within American Christianity that has sought to separate, to partition questions of social righteousness and social justice from questions of gospel and salvation. And I know, friends, I know that issues of justice are never straightforward. They're never simply a matter of black and white. They are complex and they are messy and they cannot be adjudicated by sloganeering and hashtags. However, the point here is that issues of injustice are always theological. Racism is a gospel issue, my brothers and sisters. It is a gospel issue. And as one preacher put it, the cross does not just point upward. <laughs> The cross does not just point upward to God, but it has a horizontal beam that is affixed to the vertical beam. Jesus died not just to reconcile us to the Father, Jesus died to reconcile us to one another. And so all situations of human injustice and racism belong within this broader context of the divine law court in which there has been a fundamental breakdown of our relationship with God. Walking humbly, then before God means realizing that doing justice and loving kindness are a manifestation of true worship. Walking <clears throat> humbly for God requires doing justice and loving mercy. And, and so the, the, the whole point of the prophets again and again is like, don't think that you can worship God, you know, with a clear heart and a clear conscience as injustice goes on around. You can't separate these. But I, I want to draw your attention, before I close on this, this first um, point, I want to draw your attention to this word humbly. Why describe our walk with God in terms of humility? To walk humbly is to walk carefully, to walk attentively. I remember a time, I've shared this in the past, um, when I literally was walking humbly along a mountainside where if I was not watching every single step, I would have slipped and, and I would have fallen to my death. That is walking humbly. It is to walk carefully and it is to walk attentively. To walk humbly before our God is to have a posture of humility towards all aspects of our life, all relationships, all events. To walk humbly before our God is not to take myself too seriously, not to take my grasp, my take on a situation, too seriously. To walk humbly before our God is to live before God with an appropriate fear. This is what the fear of the Lord means. It's another way of describing the fear of the Lord. It is to understand that someday I will have to give an account 
for everything that I say, for everything that I do, and for everything that I did not do, that's part of what it means to walk humbly. It is to live with a sense that there are events and realities in this world that exceed my capacity to understand, to control, to direct, or to stop from happening, or to intervene within. It is to understand that God has brought these events about. God is not the author of evil. He does not cause evil, but he does permit things to happen. Go back and read Lamentations that we read where the prophet seems to contradict himself, where he says nothing can happen. The Lord brings about calamity and good things, and yet he says the Lord is not behind evil. To walk humbly before our God is to humble ourselves before events that we do not understand, which we have had to do, and which has been so painful to do over the past 10 weeks with COVID. Something that we don't fully understand, that we cannot predict and control and our temptation is always, again, to get angry, to get impatient. And it's the same exact thing with all the stuff that's happening with the protests, with the riots, with... with is we, need, we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves before these events. The outcry that we're experiencing right now around the issues of race, we have not seen for 50 years. And I think especially as white Christians, we need to humble ourselves before our, 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 these events. And, and right now in particular, walking humbly before our God means I think just listening <laughs> with humility to black brothers and sisters, especially to Christians, black Christians, about the meaning of these events. It's letting them help us frame what it means. It's helping them to help us to process and to interpret. And this leads to the second point I want to make, which is loving kindness. What is, it, what is loving kindness? What does it mean to practice loving kindness? And this is, a, as a phrase, this is an odd expression in Hebrew. It is a kind of a combination of this word hesed, um, which is translated steadfast love most commonly. But there's no other example in the Old Testament of this particular way of, of framing it. Love, kindness. It's like a, noun, a verb and a noun put together. Loving kindness or love in mercy. But again, this word here is the Hebrew. It's, it's, it's a very common word in the Old Testament. Um, and first and foremost, it describes God's covenantal love for us. It's the word that we already encountered in Lamentations. Hesed describes God's never-failing, always-there love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The hesed of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So hesed involves love, but not just the English word love doesn't really capture what it means uh, fully. It's more like faithful love, committed love, covenantal love, promise and keeping love. But it also it combines this idea of, of intimacy, of affection, personal experience of loving affection. That's where the word kindness is often used to try to describe it. Because kindness is a word that you can really only use in a very personal relationship. Love, kindness. Hesed is a committed love that, that manifests itself through deeds of kindness. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a sentiment. It is, is, it is acts of kindness and mercy and personal affection. And this characterizes how the Lord relates to us. 
But to love kindness in this context does not refer to God's love for us or even for our love for God, but the way in which we are to love one another. Hesed is horizontal love, right? Horizontal hesed, right? It's the cross beam of the crucifix. And it refers to a love that should characterize our personal and interpersonal relationships with one another. Let me give you a couple examples in the Old Testament from some narratives that will help kind of cinch more the meaning of this word in the horizontal sense. The first one is, comes from the book of Ruth, in which this theme of hesed, hesed love, steadfast love, is very prominent. The woman Ruth embodies hesed. When her husband dies, um, she's, in Mo she's a Moabitess. She's not an Israelite. She's an outsider. Her husband dies in Moab, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, tells Ruth, releases her from any obligations to her, say, go back. I'm going back to Israel. And Ruth refuses to leave Naomi. She's a widow. I mean, Ruth could remarry. She's young. She could stay with her people. Instead, what she says to Naomi is this, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. This is Hesed. This is an example of Hesed love. Another example um, is the story of Rahab, the, the Canaanite woman. When the spies, uh, the Hebrew spies come to sort of scope out the city of Jericho to attack it, they, um, they are under, um, they're being chased and they hide. And Rahab gives them a place to hide. And when she's lowering them down out of her window outside of the, the city wall, what she says to them as she's lowering them down is this. She says, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show hesed to my family because I have shown hesed to you. See, hesed in both of these examples of Ruth and, and Rahab are examples of solidarity, of shared solidarity, of community. Hesed friends, is, being, is what it means, is the, is, the, is the love that binds us together. It is a love that holds families and communities together. It is the love of solidarity with one another. So to walk, um, to love kindness, is to practice loving solidarity with one another. Now, I want you to consider for a moment the, the relationship between love and justice. Doing justice and loving kindness go together, but they're not the same thing. They both refer to horizontal actions that we take towards one another. They are both things in which the Lord requires of us. He requires that we do justice and he requires that we love kindness. But justice has to do with rights and dignity, what we owe one another. What a person deserves and, and is entitled to based on their status as one created in the image of God. That is justice. But Hesed, what makes Hesed Hesed, or what, and it's the same, what makes love love, is that we have no right to demand it from one another. I can't demand that you love me. <laughs> when we love one another, and we commit, that creates certain demands of us to one another, but we cannot demand hesed from one another. 
Rahab did not owe it to the Hebrew spies to hide them. They were spying the city to tack it. Hers was an act of mercy and kindness to them. In fact, in, for her own people, it was an act of treason. Ruth would have been completely within her rights, completely just, to leave Naomi and to stay in Moab and let her go back to Israel. That's what her sister-in-law Orpah did. But Ruth does not. And it's the same with God's Hesed love for us. He does not owe us love. We cannot demand God's mercy. What makes mercy mercy is you don't deserve it. And when we have broken our covenant obligations to God, we can't turn around and demand that he uphold his end of the bargain. And yet, that's what God does again and again. We fail, we become covenant breakers, and yet God is still faithful even when we're faithless. It's the whole meaning of love defined by the gospel that while we are yet sinners, <laughs> Christ died for us. While we were yet enemies of God, God was making a way to overcome, overcome the rebellion, overcome the injury, and he absorbed the harm in his own life. Justice would say that God was under no obligation whatsoever to die, to love, to pull us back into his life. Hesed is, is, can't be something we owe like justice. But I think what Micah does here that's so profound, and I, I just want to just want to pause here. I think this is so important in our conversation right now. There's a very profound point here in bringing love and justice together. Hesed love is not equivalent to justice, but Hesed love is a condition for justice. It's not, a, it's not equivalent to justice, but it is a condition for justice. It is a condition for maintaining justice. See, friends, there is no justice without love. And yet we cannot demand love from one another like we can demand justice. But that's why there's so little justice in this world. Because there's so little love. Many of the signs um, in the protests that you've seen, perhaps I've seen, have this phrase, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. That is true. No justice, no peace. But what is also true, and if you want to put this on a sign, maybe you can do this, no love, no justice. No justice, no peace. No love, no justice. Friends, no love, no justice. How do we practice loving kindness in this moment? Very simply, we can stand in solidarity with black brothers and sisters during this season. We can listen to their cries. We can be at their side. We can mourn with them. Yesterday, um, a, few of, a handful of us at CRC had an opportunity to do this as we gathered for a prayer service in the central city at Invisible Realities Ministry. And it was a very powerful time. It wasn't a huge group of people, maybe 40 or so. And there was, there was sharing, personal testimony, there was poetry, and there was prayer. And we, as a church, had an opportunity to, to just participate in and be welcomed into a small black church in Milwaukee as they mourned and as they lamented. And, and friends, there's so much pain. There's so much pain that they're carrying right now. And it meant so much to them 
that we just showed up. Our presence, just showing up, was very powerful and very healing. In fact, one woman, a part of the church, talked to me afterwards and just shared how, just how healing it was just to all be together as the body of Christ and just to share and to pray. Friends, it's showing up in events like these, being present, listening, not coming with answers necessarily, not feeling like you have to agree or disagree, or, but it's just showing up. That's what Hesed does. It requires vulnerability. It requires risk. You might have to wear a face mask. But th this is what's so important. No love, no justice. Because Hesed means you have skin in the justice game. Hesed means you have skin in the justice game. Friends, do you have personal skin in this justice game? The reality is, is that loving kindness is necessary to set the stage for doing justice. It means that we have relational and personal skin in the justice game. And I think part of the, the really frustrating thing about a lot of conversations right now as, amongst white Christians is that many of us have very strong opinions and feelings about what the real problem is. And yet we've never actually, we don't have any personal skin in the game. We haven't really sat and listened personally to black Christians, black friends share how painful this is. And so it's very easy to pontificate and have thoughts. And again, to listen and to hear isn't necessarily to agree with everything. But this is what Hesed does, friends. It means that we have something at stake in this justice game. It means we become vulnerable. We become vulnerable to the same pain as our brothers and sisters. And I, I mean, the reality is this, and this I speak from experience. Sometimes I've pushed away wanting to go there because I know it's painful. And it is. I listened to <clears throat> I listened to a couple sermons this week, back to back on Friday, I think, from black preachers. And it just brought me to tears. And I didn't agree with everything that was said, but I mean, I, my soul was traumatized. <laughs> it was traumatized. And it wasn't because I was like feeling white guilt or whatever. But it was just like I, I entered in and I felt and I tasted a little bit. Just a little bit. That's what Hesed does, friends. It listens. In our moment, we cannot move forward towards racial justice unless we have loving kindness as a relational context for that. But what does justice look like? Next week, um, next week I will devote, um, I'll devote a whole sermon talking about the biblical meaning of justice with specific reference to issues of race. It's a very, like I said, justice is complicated. It's not straightforward. You can't adjudicate it with hashtags and slogans and protests merely. But I just want to highlight and close um, one aspect of biblical justice that we need to reflect on that I think is part of this phase or this step of the process. 
And that is, that is central to the biblical understanding of justice. And it's very simply this. It's naming injustice. Naming injustice. One of the things that you see throughout Micah, and you see this in all the prophets, like Amos especially, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, is that they detail and chronicle and give graphic accounts of injustice and of evil to which God holds Israel and all the nations responsible. And central to the prophetic task of justice is an accurate description of reality. Biblical justice, the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says, always involves reading a right reading of social reality, of social power, and of social goods. So the first stage of doing justice involves understanding and describing injustice. And this is precisely the point, though, where we as the white church are prone to fail in our ability to stand side by side with the black church. Our temptation is to always underestimate, to minimize, to discount, or to rationalize away the black experience of white racism. But again, I, I plead with you, I plead with you, humble yourself and listen. Listen to the black experience, to black brothers and sisters. Again, it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that's said or every take. But friends, if you are listening, you would really be struck and overwhelmed by how consistent the experiences are. There is a history. Again, we want to turn away from this and we want to think, oh, that's in the past. We're no longer there. There is this history, though, of slavery and of segregation, of Jim Crow, that is still playing out. What black people saw when they saw that video of George Floyd and that that police, white police officer with his knee on his neck, squeezing out his breath, and I've heard this multiple times. It's highly, this horrific symbol of continuing legacy of white racism in America, where a white man has his throat on the neck of a black man, crushing the air out of him. And that is hard for us to hear, and we want to say, no, you know, you're overreacting, or no. Or we want to say, what about all the black-on-black -black violence? Or what about all these other things? But friends, that is not the issue right here. There is enormous disparity in our experiences of America. Uh, Brian Stevenson, who is a very well-known civil rights lawyer, has wrote a book, and there's even a movie made about the book called Just Mercy. He is a man of deep faith. And he um, was interviewed, and he had this to say about this experience. And again, this echoes so many that I've heard. It's not just a anger about what happened to George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Ahmoud Arbery. It is anger about continuing to live in a world where there is this presumption of dangerousness and guilt wherever you go. I'm 60 years old and I have been practicing law for 35 years. I have a lot of honorary degrees and I went to Harvard and I still go places where I'm presumed dangerous. I've been told to leave courtrooms because the presumption was that I was the defendant, not the lawyer. I've been pulled out of my car by police who pointed a gun on me, and I can just tell you that when you have to navigate this presumption of guilt day in and day out, and when the burden is on you to make people around you see you as fully human and equal, you get exhausted. You get exhausted. And that's the word I've been hearing again and again from black Christians. I heard a lot yesterday, exhaustion. 
Friends, doing justice for us in particular in this moment is very simple, I think. It is to begin to listen humbly. It is to begin to recognize the disparity of experience. That's where the conversation has to start. We often want to have a conversation on our terms, assuming our experience should be the framing experience. But it's coming terms with that experience, the chasm. Our whole city, our whole city is a symbol of that chasm of disparity of experience. <laughs> there is white Milwaukee, there is black Milwaukee, and there is not a lot of overlap. And we learn to just live with that. And it's, it's, it's hard to know how to overcome it. And I'm not saying here we have to figure that out, but, but we have to just recognize that reality and you have to be willing to sit with it. See, this is what lamentation is about. And I just want to come back to this idea of loving kindness because the questions of justice, especially for black Americans, need to happen from us and with them in the context of hesed, of loving kindness, of a relational context Yesterday again, it was a very healing experience for all involved to sit together, to pray, to listen, to be present. It was Hesed, love, coming in and providing the framework and the ground and the conditions for, for justice. That's what we need. That's what the black church needs. That's what we need. But friends, as I close, I don't want to close simply about this. I want to close... Biblical justice is not just about injustice, <laughs> calling out injustice, but it is a positive vision for what the world should be and someday will be. It is a recognition that God himself bears the ultimate responsibility for all justice in our world, and that someday he will make all things right. And, and, and so we can't accomplish justice. We can't bring about a just world. But to say that, friends, is not to say, relax. Not at all. It is actually to strive, is to know that as we pursue justice, as we, in that painful, murky, difficult process, head towards justice, that we know it's not futile. We know it's not hopeless because the Lord has ensured that it will happen, that he has promised. The prophet Micah gives us a vision of a world of justice, and I want to close with that. This comes from chapter 4. He says, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go up from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. Amen. Father, we walk in the name of the Lord, knowing that you, as the Lord, will bring about justice amongst the nations, justice amongst the people. 
We pray that you pour out your Hesed love upon us, your ever-present, ever-faithful, forever love upon us. Help us to know that you are with us and that you will continue to be with us as a church. So we humbly walk before you and we give our lives to you, Lord. Teach us what it means to do justice in this moment. Teach us what it means to, to love kindness. May, uh, may these things be embodied in us and may the world know you through us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.